Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. And I go by the name Q Ward. Ramses Ja, what's happening? Everything in the world, man. It's good to see you. Good to talk to you. Always. Yes, we, should do, we should do this more often. Yeah, man. Uh, once a week ain't, ain't, ain't nearly enough. But uh, I'm glad that we get to do this and we get to share it with our wonderful, incredibly supportive listeners, um, which you should stick around for. Uh, we have a great show in store for you. Um, we are going to discuss whether or not uh, defunding the police works. That's obviously um, a very hot, very much a hot button issue. And, uh, you know, there's been some early reports back from different cities around the country. And uh, we're going to examine that, peel back a couple of layers and really try to figure out what that means. Um, also, we're going to examine that very common saying uh i'm not racist i have a black friend i'm gonna peel back a few layers of that as well um i think that that's necessary and that's timely um and that's kind of right up our alley anyway uh so you know people that hide behind that statement um you might know them it might be in your life it might even be you but we're going to really examine what that means and um how if, if you're going to use it how to use it and and how not to use it uh also we're going to uh discuss the origins of yoga um a lot of people you know know that yoga uh comes from you know asia parts of, like south southeast asia but um yoga actually has roots in africa and we're going to discuss that as well but first and foremost like we always do at this time, we're going to talk about some ebony excellence. How about that, Q? As we should always do about this time. Yes, sir. So, ebony excellence. Um, today, we're going to talk about Sean Puff Daddy or P. Diddy Combs or Diddy or uh, what, what did he change his name to? Love or something once upon a time? Yeah, Puff, Puff Daddy uh diddy <laughs> puff Puffy. no shortage no shortage of nicknames Combs. <laughs> brother love he got the nicknames on deck i'm not mad at it well today we're talking about him um as you know he is a serial entrepreneur very successful businessman um somewhere on his way toward becoming a billionaire if he's not there already and so uh you know, we like to talk about people that do great things, but, you know, uh, Puffy has always been very pro-Black and very supportive of Black businesses and Black individuals and Black culture and, and so forth and so on. And it's funny that we haven't talked about him yet, but um, even though we're late, we do get a chance to shout him out. So he actually bought back his clothing line, Sean John. So um, originally, he sold a majority stake of Sean John in 2016 to Global Brands Holding Limited. That's a holding company that specializes in celebrity apparel. Um, and they filed for Chapter 11 in uh, July of 2021. And they placed Sean John along with other assets up for auction. Well, Puff Daddy or P. Diddy or Diddy went and bought it back. So not only did he get a bag up front, but then he actually bought back his clothing line that carries his name 
and he got it for seven and a half million dollars. Oh, uh, so he made up. money coming and going on that one. And of course, up. he's going to continue to provide his black owned fashion uh, to the world. And we love to see it. So shout out to Sean P. Diddy Combs, a.k.a. Puff Daddy. Now, moving on. Does defunding the police work? Um, real quick, I uh, want to shout out Forbes uh, magazine because that's where we drew the uh, information for, for Diddy and buying back Sean John. And now our sources are the Wall Street Journal and Sean King. You know, uh, we, we are fans of Sean King, you know, not diehard fans, but, you know, certainly are fans of his work. You know, we, we are critical of everything that comes our way. We have to be. We're a separate journalistic institution here on Civic Cipher. But um, we do like his hot takes. We appreciate his perspective in the same way that we appreciate the perspective of, you know, other great speakers, comedians, people that just have an, a, an interesting view of the world. Um, but defunding the police, um, that's one of the first questions that we were able to ask on this show when we had Zara up uh, from uh, Black Lives Matter. And that's really the reason why we wanted to create Civic Cypher in the first place. That's funny because, um, you know, for those listening, Q and I, we felt like in 2020 that the people on the streets with the bullhorns that were saying defund the police, um, they, they were talking to just the, the people who were protesting and marching with them. And, you know, they're reaching, you know, a few hundred people to a few thousand people, depending on who, who could hear them. You know, the thousands of people there, but not everybody could hear. And, you know, when we first heard defund the police, it sounded very scary. And, you know, and, and it, I think that was kind of what their intention was. Um, but when they explained it, we're like, oh, they've thought about this. They want to basically reallocate fiscal resources from the police departments to other programs that will actively prevent the the causes of crimes like why crimes happen in the first place you know um scarcity is the birthplace of a lot of crimes you know um and so the idea there once it was explained made the statement defund the police um a little bit more approachable so that people could really get in there and kind of work with with the reality, work with the real. And we felt like this message needed to belong on the radio station, not just in the streets on the bullhorns. And for those that know the story, uh, just bear with me. But we took we took this idea to our old radio station and asked them to create a space where we could interview these great thinkers and great speakers that they could come up and really explain these concepts and we were told no. And then we stepped away and we created Civic Cipher. And now you're hearing us in Chicago and you're hearing us in Detroit and you're hearing us in Phoenix and San Diego and you know, Vermont and Oregon and all over the country. And we appreciate your support. We'll, we'll, this couldn't have happened without your support. Just listening to us every week and downloading the show and so forth. But I digress. Um, does defunding the police work? Now we're at a point where we can look back and see the results of what some 
um, police departments have done. And I'll be honest, if you just look at the headlines and nothing else, and you don't have your critical lens on, um, what you see, the headlines say that communities don't want the defunding of their police departments and that you, you'll see that, you know, crime has increased in certain areas when defunding has taken place and so forth. And so in the initial response to this doesn't seem very promising, you know, but when you peel away a couple of layers, you realize that the story, as they tend to, um, goes a little bit deeper. Um, so I'll read. Uh, back in October of last year, Austin tried cutting, Austin, Texas, tried cutting funding to police departments and learned that there was less policing, like less policing overall. And uh, they only asked for calls to law enforcement in response to immediate threats to life or property or crimes still in progress, right? Um, so what you end up with is when you look at the headlines, you think, well, no, now police won't come out. They'll only come out for stuff that really, really matters. But, you know, they won't come out for all these other things. What's well, funny because Austin is, I believe, the city where the police chief stated that we, the community, are asking police to do too much. We're asking police to respond to everything from my cat stuck in a tree to um, there's an active shooter and everything in between. My car's broken in, my boyfriend won't leave, you know, all these sorts of things. And not all of these things require a man to show up or a woman to show up with a gun and a, uh, you know, a, a lack of appropriate skills needed to really address every type of situation, right? So they're, they're asking for only for calls in response to immediate threats to life or property crime still in progress. Um, sounds approximately like what they wanted. Look, we take care of this stuff. This is what we do. Call us for these things. The other things, there are other departments in theory that you should be able to call, right? And um, that's kind of the step one. But when you say, well, you know, the police aren't taking as many calls and they're asking for less calls to come their way, um, it's alarming to the community. It means it makes people think, well, I'll be on hold if I call the police, if I call 911, or they won't take the fact that someone broke into my car seriously, you know, and I'm feeling the hurt, you know, because someone broke into my car and stole my purse or whatever. Um, and they think that by spending more money on the police that somehow it will alleviate that stress that they endure when they're waiting on an officer to show up. Instead of 20 minutes, they have to wait 40 minutes because those, th those type of police have not received enough funds to hire just extra people to sit around waiting to respond to acts of vandalism or broken in cars, which they can't do anything. One thing that Zara did mention on the show is that the vast majority of you know, police responses are to crimes that have already taken place where the person has already disappeared from the scene and the police show up and they do paperwork. And sometimes they investigate and get the guy or woman who commits the crime. And sometimes they don't. 
Um, and that's really 97% of police policing in the country. You just show up after the stuff, the bad stuff has already happened. So um, I feel like a lot of the media is taking some of the headlines and spinning it in such a way to where it makes it look like defunding the police doesn't work. But what you're seeing, if you're coming across these articles in the way that I have, is a half truth. You're seeing a story half told. You're seeing an experiment half completed. At least that's my initial reaction. What's your initial reaction, Q? So it's an interesting way to tell a story where you use your confirmation bias and you twist data and statistics to fit a narrative that you're trying to get across, right? So you can point to causality versus, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Sometimes things just so happen to happen in an order doesn't mean they were caused by that thing. Like if I, the, the, the vaccine, for example, if I take the vaccine and then I get hit by a car, an anti-vax person could spin that very easily into, see, getting the vaccine will get you hit by a car. <laughs> Those things just so happened to happen in that order. Right. So I think it's causality versus uh, correlation. They don't, they don't actually have anything to do with one another. Right. In, in lieu of there being alternatives, 911, right? The, the most well marketed phone number in history, because just saying those numbers means emergency now, right? There's no alternative to that, though. So when your cat is stuck in a tree, I'm sure there is an animal rescue place you can call, but their phone number isn't 911. And because it's so readily available in your head, every time something happens, that's who you look to call. So with regard to, you know, the twisting of statistics to, to paint a certain story, I think the bigger thing is a lack of alternatives, right? There are departments that handle a wide battery of things from mental health to, um, you know, spousal abuse to domestic violence to drug abuse. There are resources and agencies in place. However, if their number is 877-356-7923, it's not, it doesn't roll off the tongue the same way. I can't even say that same number again right now. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? So yeah. as long as they've made 911 the most accessible and easy to remember trouble number in history, every time there's any type of trouble, people call the cops. The cops, however, via switchboards or by having literal pieces of paper with the access to all of those different numbers on them, could should and could reroute those phone calls into someone who should be handling whatever that specific situation would require instead of like you said a man or a woman with a gun showing up for something that should not escalate into a violent interaction but could just by the very presence of the killing machine you have sitting on your hip as Ramses would call it exactly and you know what um i think so i came across a story that i think illustrates your point um I don't have the notes in front of me because I didn't prepare it for this episode, but um, might talk about it again in the future or we'll just briefly state about state it right now. But um, I saw a video of a man whose alarm went off in his house. He's a club owner. I believe it might have been in Texas or something like that. 
owns a nightclub, um, deals with cash quite a bit, and uh, ha- he's a gun owner, right? So his alarm went off in his house. Um, maybe one of his roommates or s- somebody living with him set off the alarm. He gets up, goes downstairs, closes the door, s- resets the alarm, calls the alarm company, tells them it's a false alarm, goes back up and lays down. He's in his home in his underwear, black man, bigger, bigger frame black man, right? Brown, brown skin. Um, a few minutes later, the police show up, right? Even though he called the alarm company as the owner of the property and said, hey, everything's fine. Please still show up, right? Um, and do a welfare check, right? So um, the police, are, he, his door, I guess he didn't lock it. So the, off, the first officer that arrived there kind of, I guess, announces himself and no one responds. Because remember, the guy's upstairs, he's sleeping. Uh, so the officer opens the door and then yells into the house. And then the guy wakes up and he comes to the top of the stairs. Now he has his gun because someone's in his house yelling. Is anyone home? Um, so he has his, his gun and he goes to the top of the stairs and, uh, and the guy says, Oh, I'm a police officer. And and he's like, do you, are there any weapons? He's like, yeah, I have my gun with me. And he's like, okay, put the gun down. The guy puts the gun down. He comes downstairs. He's in his underwear, a heavier black man right? in his underwear. And he's talking to the officer and the officer's like, do me a favor, turn around, you know? And he's like, for what? You know, I, I just told you what happened. I called the, the alarm company. Like, you know, I'm in my underwear. This is my house. You want to see the pictures on the wall? Like it was the wildest thing. And the officer's like, no, it's for our protection, blah, blah, blah. And then as we always see a million other officers show up. And then they take the guy outside because he's like, yo, this is asinine. This is my home. You guys are in my house. And, and I, I do need proof or like, you don't have to put me in handcuffs in my home. I was asleep. The alarm went off. I just told you what happened. You can call the alarm companies. Just pleading this case. These guys won't want to hear any of it because it's like when they show up, they're ready for blood. Right. Um, but what you see is a 30 minute interaction with six or eight officers and they're not all pictured you know and then there's probably another 30 minutes worth of paperwork and blah blah blah. and then the guy ended up suing the department and what people don't realize is that those are your tax dollars and those tax dollars could be going to something more effective one thing that i will not deny i don't know if it's true but i won't deny it based on what what i know is uh sean king when he said you know, um, police departments are one of the worst uh, run institutions, government institutions in, in the country in terms of how money translates into results, you know, um, and based on what I know to be true, you know, that checks out, you know, kind of checks based on my reality, at least, you know, spending more money hasn't reduced crime. You know, it's gotten more people killed. You know, it's gotten a lot more bullies on the streets and so forth, but I don't want to be too cruel because we do have and are, believe it or not, are gaining more friends, I will call them, who are police officers who listen to this show and they recognize that they are part of a system that is not perfect, 
And they recognize that we can be critical of that system. And it doesn't mean that we hate them. We do not hate the humans. There is no hate in my heart and there never will be. But it's up to us to demand better for our community. And if we've chosen for these people to protect us, then they also need to remember to protect us. I'll move on. Um, Philadelphia, Chicago, and San Francisco also have all defunded police. Um, and there are reports that correlate with those measures that show that there have been increases in property crimes and homicides, right? But again, I think that tells only part of the story, right? Um, as you mentioned, there's, it's not just we defund the police and then the crime goes up, you know? Okay, let's look at what were the trends of property crimes? What were the trends of homicides before this happened? Do we take into account that there's a pandemic? Do we take into account that there, um, that the, that the reinvestment into those communities hasn't taken place to, um, yet, yet, right? Because defunding the police isn't just take money away from the police. It's, reallocate police funding into resources that will prevent crime, prevent the necessity of crime from happening in the first place. And that's how we reduce crime. It's a different way of thinking about how to fight crime, right? But if you just think defund the police, I mean, Q said it on the show and that it's a fair point. When you just hear defund the police and that's your own, that's your only, that's your initial talking point. You, a lot of people tune out initially because they're like, what? that sounds crazy. Right. But really it's, reallocate police funding to uh, crime prevention me measures that will prevent the necessity of crime from happening in the first place. You know, um, better housing opportunities, work opportunities, education, so forth and so on. Things that where there's a proven correlation between a reduction in crime or a life of crime and a specific activity. Develop these things in the community and crime goes down. Um, did you want to jump in right there, Q? I'm going to finish up. Yeah, I mean, it's, we, we spoke to it already and you bring it up again. Causality versus correlation. Uh, cause and effect is not always as straightforward as people want you to think. So they can present data without context, without nuance, and conclude things that have nothing to do with one another. And I, keep, I hate to keep bringing up the vaccine, but there's a, you know, a lot of misinformation uh, people saying that I'm not taking a vaccine because the vaccine is killing people, right? So even if every person that has died after getting the vaccine, even if that were holistically the reason why, there have been about 480 million vaccine shots given out, people, like people who actually received the vaccine, like I think it's 470 million worldwide or something like that. Um, 10,000 of those people died after vaccine. The study that lists that data does not say those people died because of the vaccine, the vaccine. Yeah. but the vaccine being present gives a person on the other side of that argument, the grounds to stand on. Look, this vaccine is killing people. Yeah. You know, so yes. you have a, a million people that have died from contracting COVID. And even if every one of the people who have died after getting the vaccine or because of the vaccine, the percentages are very, very, very small. Yeah. And I hate to say it in that way because we've gotten way too comfortable with death. I think we've made life cheaper Cheap. throughout this, yeah. throughout this pandemic uh, with a really kind of gross selfishness. 
but it just points to that same thing. Like if we're not using the data correctly, you can paint a picture and tell a story that just isn't true, even though the information that you're using is. Yeah, it happens all the time. I know exactly what you mean. Um, I want to add this too. In researching this uh, segment for the show, I could not find any articles that pointed to community investment uh, or alternative forms of policing. So there's nothing that says that that happened. Um, what the initial plan was is that you weren't supposed to defund the police all at one time. It was supposed to be like gradual. So it's not like you just throw a bunch of cops out on the streets. There's supposed to be a transfer of the money, but um, some of these cities didn't really take that into account. Um, I want to add this, and this is for me. In a complex society, crime is always going to be with us. Uh, the remaining police can deal with crime. Traffic moderators can deal with traffic, welfare checks, and crimes where the perpetrator has left is basically paperwork, something to remember. Um, and uh, Larry Krasner, district attorney in Philadelphia, said something that I think we should share. Out of 100 shootings that happened in 2021, 83 of them went unsolved by the police. So Sean King pointed out that the 80, of the 83 arrests, some were innocent, resulting in a 90% failure rate by police to find and apprehend the correct criminal. Their budget is almost a billion dollars, suggesting that pouring more money into policing over the years has not made anyone safer. Stick around your radios. We're coming back with more Civic Cypher right after this.